river kingdoms are a constantly shifting group of city-states, kingdoms and fiefdoms, rising and falling through the machinations of would-be conquerors, wars, assassinations, games of politics, and dangerous monsters. South of Brevoy sits the Stolen Lands. Stolen from what and when are a matter of some debate. Currently overrun by bandits and monsters. Brevoy seeks to aid in the establishment of new kingdoms, buffer states, run by anyone strong enough and clever enough to carve a kingdom out of the savage wilderness. Caelan Thorne, the mercenary who would be king, believes he is that man. Herein lies his tale of wilderness exploration, monsters, politics, romantic entanglements, ancient gods, and war. Heavy indeed is the head that wears the crown. Sugarfueled Gamers, in association with RPGMP3.com, present Kingmaker, a Paizo Adventure Path. A word to our listeners. This game is often interrupted. Whenever this happens, you'll hear our editor's tone to let you know when a segment of recording has been removed until we resume gaming. Episode 123. It's about day three of the raging battle for Pytaxia. Yes. The avenging bowmen are badly, um, badly wounded and in peril. Yep. Um, the um, several armies have either withdrawn or been slain. Yep. The... Uh, um, First Mivanese, one of the Mivanese um, Division One has withdrawn. Those of Thunder have withdrawn, and the Pytax Regiment has been slain. Yep. Okay. And as we begin day three, uh, or possibly day four. Yep. Um, Kalen wishes to um, come to his um, wounded army's aid. Yep, and um, blow the blow the horn. I see. Assuming that Caleb, because we're running these stories in parallel. Yes, yes, that's perfectly fine. So cool. I'm, I'm I'm quite happy with that. Yeah. Like what you are establishing by doing that is that on day three, Caleb is not in the city fighting a Ravetti. Yeah. But that's really neither here nor there. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so. You will probably need to pause for loading then. Yeah. Um, while I go and load that. Kalen looks out across the battlefield and thinks his desperate hour has come. Yeah. So um, Kalen um, looks at the um, looks looks at the affray and um, the bowmen are pinned down, and if they go down, stag runners could be next. We can't afford not to win this one. It's time. Digs the horn out of his bag. Lord of battle, Iron Lord. You owe me one. <laughs> Puts the horn to his lips. And you blow it. And it blows long and loud. To the point where it seems to seize the attention of everyone on the battlefield. And for a moment, there is a brief lull entirely in the fighting. 
as everyone just sort of stops, some of them locked blade to blade and just freeze for a handful of heartbeats. And then there's a sound from far away but coming rapidly closer of footfalls and hoofbeats and shuffling and flapping and clicking this menagerie of noises and as if they have been rushing in from over the hill coming shimmering into being comes a horde of men and centaurs and kobolds and lizard folk and a wide variety of other such things um and when Kalen looks upon them, at first they appear to be translucent, but they solidify as they hit the battlefield. These are not ghosts, nor zombies, nor nor um, undead of any kind. They appear to be flesh and blood, and yet they glow with a strange light. And when Kalen looks at them, you know these people, or some of them, or someone like them those ten kobolds in the front there they've been gone for near three years now lost heroically on a charge you know good creatures that held the battle line it isn't them brought back from the dead but it looks a lot like them there if anything they look a little bigger a little stronger a little tougher and then Kalen realises what he is looking at here. You have not so much brought the dead back to defend Stagthorn, but this army is comprised of the warrior spirits of all those who have died for Stagthorn. Wow! The spirits themselves remain undisturbed by this, you think, but you, are, you have literally brought back their fighting spirit. Wow! Um, and you look around to see... At this point, it doesn't surprise you to see the banner that the army is flying is Stagthorns. The army itself appears to be a motley mess. You know, some of them are on horseback, some of them are centaurs, some of them are unmounted. They all glow with a strange light. They appear to have a wide variety of siege engines with them that are also glowing with a strange light that, again, look like your sort of construction, but more gleaming and (laughs) shiny. And you see the banner of Stagthorn waving high overhead, and you look round for their commander, and your eyes pause for a moment, and you see a tall, broad, Amazon-esque-looking woman now, dark black skin with an Eldori longsword in her hand. Uh, your army is commanded by Jumandi Rall. Oh my goodness. That is so impressive. Wow. So, does that all make sense? Yes, I believe so. I'll just pass it back. I'll um, read it into the record. So, the Spirit of Stagthorn are a colossal 2,000-man army made up of all sorts of shit. Uh, they have no tactics uh, because th- these guys look like the cast-offs of, of um, yeah. about seven different armies. Uh, they do have ranged weapons of a wide variety. They have spell casting because, as you will see, they glow and move and seem to do weird things. Uh, they cannot be routed, period. Uh, they can make morale checks and be inspired and all the rest of it, however. Uh, and they go through all manner of damage reduction and regeneration. 
and I don't think you'll see it in this one, but they ignore mobility advantage in the sense of if you're up against wyverns, they just start flying. Yeah. Seemingly animated by the for- sheer force of battle that animates them. Yeah. They're awesome. Cool. And they enter initiative. And in the va- in the very back of his mind, Kalen realizes what the horn sounds like when this happens. The deep throaty laugh of a very seasoned commander speaking through a full plate of helm. <laughs> As Gorham's army enters the battlefield. Yep. They appear to be somewhat following Kalen's battle strategy and commands and things, in the sense that if you send them flags and signals and that, they will more or less follow those instructions. Okay. Okay, and then we go to morality. Yes. Cool, and your lot. Okay, the spirit of Stagthorn um, can make morale checks, yep. and they start on a seven, which I think represents less a lack of morale and more a transit from an interdimensional plane. And they beat the mercs. Yep. Um, the river raisers get a um, 13. Cool. It's a long fight. Uh, the stag runners get a 23. Yep. And the avenging bowmen... Uh, get a 28. Cool. They're, um, determined, they're bravely staying the course, even though one would probably be better to get out. And Sinclair? And the Mimonese army uh, get a 1. Yep. Clockwork army do their thing. Uh, yes. Um, the Midwardenese army um, stay at cautious. Yep. Uh, the mercs. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good on their, on their D. And they're defensive, yep. yep. Alright, the Spirit of Stagthorn is going to come out at aggressive as the first tier yep. one, isn't it? On the basis that uh, they, they really, they're really only here to die for your kingdom once. The, the, um, they've already died for, uh, on the yes there, there's no merit in not having them killed yeah yeah they um either way they're going home so they're going to do as much damage as they can but of course they can't uh, I, I want them to start at aggressive yep. rather than um kicking them trying to kick them straight up to restless and yep. risking not having them start at normal yeah what you see is they are a pretty large force when they get into it but they're not at what you would call... It's, it's not a mob and a rabble, but yeah. it's not stunningly well-disciplined because it doesn't look like a lot of these guys have worked together before. Jamandi is a competent commander, but not an amazing one. Yeah. Um, the river raisers responding to the peril of the bowmen and um, the general desperation of the situation are going to kick it up to normal. They haven't been hurt yet. Cool. 
Pytex 2, staying at Reckless? Uh, no. No, no. Back down to aggressive? Yep. Because there aren't very many of them left? Yep, yep. Okay, um, the Stag Runners um, will retain normal and drop hold the line. They are um, going normal with no defensive um, penalty to um, encourage people to hit them instead. Cool. Um, and um, the bowmen drop straight to defensive because there is no no status they can go below that. But unfortunately, they have the morale penalty from the Clockwork Army's freaky clockwork thing, so that effectively only makes them cautious. Yep. And incredibly bad at hitting, but cool. At least of their problems. <laughs> All right. So shall we get this underway? Sure. So to start with, um, the. Uh, you can have your call when you deploy the Spirit of Stagthorn. Either they appear for a ranged round of their own and everybody gets one back again, or they don't. I think they appear at the melee range. Sure. There's several, um, because the, um, Pytax 2 and the Mercs have bows and the Clockwork Army yeah, have bows. Has bows. Yeah, they don't want to, they appear close enough, they don't want to take three ranged hits in exchange for one ranged hit. Cool. Alright, and it is the Bowman. Yep. Who will shoot the Clockwork Army? Yep. Because if they fluke a twenty, that way lies their salvation. But they miss. Yep. Yep, they do. Yep. The um, stag runners um, are still trying to pick on the unmounted guys, so they will come after the um, taxi regiment because they like that. They like them. They're plus two. Led by Jude's faithful second command. Alright, oh dear, okay, I'm changing dice. Alright. Uh, the battle has turned against you. You call for Gorham, well, Gorham has come. Alright, and then it's the Pytaxians. Yeah, so uh, remind me again what they're looking at. So, uh, what you're looking at is um, the mercenaries are a little beaten down but have healed themselves. The Clockwork Knights look pretty okay, um, by and large. Yeah. Um, and um, the. Uh, Pytaxian Regiment have been pretty ripped up. Yeah. Um, the, um, I've said it's not for lack of trying with the Clockwork Army, but they've got quite high DP yeah. as well in hitting them. So, um, Alright. Um, so the Stag Runners are slightly injured. Um, the Avenging Bowmen are on about a third of their HP and very confu- concerned about a bunch of people hitting them and yep. are at all sort of minus two to DV this round, yep. which is very... They are at the most defensive stance I can get them, but that's not necessarily going to be enough to enable them to survive the round. On the other hand, pulling them out wasn't a deeply appealing sure. prospect. Um, yes. The River Raisers are totally unhurt, yep. and the Mivanese Division are totally unhurt. Sure. Let's kill the little buggers, the boatmen. Yeah, I figured you'd say that. Uh, I think they're on this list. It's 28. Uh, will quite certainly hit. Alright, so... Alright, um, yep, that does them eight points of damage. Um, they, um, make a morale check or immediately rout. Which they fail. They, they rout. So everyone gets a shot at killing them. Cool. Uh, 
by taxi and regiment will shoot at them again, and this time it is a 17, 18, 19. That will miss. Uh, of Knights. Uh, 12, so no. Sweet. And these super cautious mercenaries are finally going to get their lick in. Uh, uh, or not. No, 18. Yes, and the bowmen withdraw off the field. In Real. one piece. All four glorious hit points intact. Pick on someone your own size, you bastards. That was very fluky. But Eugenia Veridu lives to fight another day. Yeah, it's been a little embarrassing to explain to Dagomar. <laughs> Honestly, I think you you loaned me a general. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they, yeah. They, um, the expectation was that you would be obliged to pay her ransom, and you know, yeah. if she died, that that was kind of a thing that happened. Yeah, yeah I would absolutely have paid her ransom, but um, I don't think it's going to arise. All right. Okay, so that was the um, Pytaxian Regiment too. Yep. So it is now the River Razors. Correct. Cool. Who are um, going to switch targets from the cat's paw mercenaries because the the greatest threat here is not the cat's paw mercenaries. Yeah. They are going to try and kill the clockwork guys. Yep. Judge as they judge them, the people most likely to kill the river raiders is absolutely their priority. Okay, and they roll really well, unlike everybody else in my team in this fight so far. Uh, Alright, and they're all normal, so they don't take any penalties to that. So that is a 27 to hit the um, knights. Clockwork knights, yes, yep. quite definitely. Let's cross the avenging bowman off. They begin to spark, and several of the clockwork horses are tripped and brought down. Cool, the raver raises at debate sniper support and add plus two to it. Cool. Cool. Okay, there. Yeah, they're looking more hurt than they might have otherwise when the GM does his math properly. Yep, sweet. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, and the Spirit of Stagthorn yep. will also attack the Clockwork guys. Cool. Alright, Spirit of Stagthorn is still, you know, materialising on the battlefield and things like that. That's a um, 15. Okay, so they charge in swinging... They're swinging and stabbing out with their kobold spears and their Aldori longswords and their bloody centaur bows and everything else. Um, what you will see is their weapons seem to glow with uh, with an arcane light, and then as they slash away at these clockwork knights, that light seems to fade. And there, there are there is solid iron there as well, but whatever magical resource they are using, the knights are, the clockwork knights are actively. Um, built against it. Right, okay. Uh, the Spirit of Stagthorn are spellcasters. Yeah. Which gives them uh, basically bonuses to their offense and defense, which I've already calculated in, so you don't yep. have to do anything about that. Uh, the knights are spellbreakers. Right. However. They get bonus defense against spellcaster armies. Okay. Because they're golems, they are immune to a number of spells, and the way that manifests is they have higher DV. Alright, the Spirit of Stagthorn will change targets next round, now that they know that. I mean, it just—it is what it is. When you summon your magical army, yeah, I'm—I'm I'm not complaining about my awesome, enormous magical army. Believe me, but um, you know, while there's many targets on the battlefield, they won't hit the one that they're not very good against. All right, um, and it is the cat's paw mercs. Cool. Uh, they will endeavor to kill them some of the knees. I think with the lands. Yep. <laughs> 
very tentatively. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're hiding. Careful. Um, the Mivanese will endeavour to kill them some cats put mercs in the spirit of the thing. Because they're um, not got a super attack, I'm trying to pit them against people they have a shot of hitting. Yeah. Alright, and again with the crappy roll. Yeah. It's, a, it's a round of missing. Portion pays off. Yep, they don't get killed. Yep. Alrighty, and then it is the Clockwork Knights. Okay, so the Clockwork... And someone's experiencing pain, but it's not going to be the Bowman. <laughs> the Clockwork Knights will turn and... Um, other people might react differently to this obviously magically manifested army that has just turned up. The knights simply turn upon them, they show no real fear of them, no reaction, and the other thing is no tactics to indicate that like, some sort of logic suggests that what you have here is some sort of summoned temporary army, however you have done that. The knights don't respond to it like that, however they don't fight cautiously, they don't wait for it to go away, they just see the threat and engage it. Yep. As if, essentially, they're not smart enough to... Um, Think about the consequences of that. I mean, they must be clever. Yeah. But they're also very, very rigid. Yeah. They don't cope... They, they, your, your assessment has been these things often don't cope with the unexpected well. Yeah. There is how the world should be and how the world is. Uh, and that is, they do not get bonuses to hit you. So that is 24 at your, ace, your DV. Cool. All right. Uh, no, my apologies. Twenty six because the spirit of Stagthorn not mounted. Yep. And the um, these guys get a penalty because they're aggressive. So twenty six. Yes. Cool. Um, they take some damage. Cool. All right. So starting HP of forty nine, and they take six points of damage. Uh, yep. And the um. Some of the um, some of the warriors fall in battle, yep. but the vast majority of them remain on the field. Yeah. And as warriors fall in battle, they literally just disappear. Their bodies, yeah. their bodies, weapons, and everything just shimmer out of existence again. Yeah, but I'm feeling really good about summoning them. I definitely don't think this. Would, we might still have carried the field without them, but this and is a tough fight. That was the other one when Kalen has gone and blowing the horn. It is given this deep, long bellow, and then with a resounding crack, it is broken clean in half. Yep. Unsurprisingly. (laughs) And Kaelin is going to quite gently lay both halves on the field of battle. Okay. And then charge into the fray. Of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that is Team Clockwork Knights. And round we go again. Yes, so we don't need to make morale checks because we're only doing that every second round. Go runners. So yes, the stag runners will. Um, uh, that's right, they missed last time, but they were hitting the um, Pythaxian regiment because they don't have. Um, yep. Oh no, we're doing morale. We're doing uh, tactics up and down. We still get to do that. We just don't have to make yes. morale checks for it. Cool. All right. So we go in front to back again. Clockwork yeah. Knights stay with our uh, uh, Sinclair and the Mavoyanes. Uh Stick with cautious. Uh, the Mercs are going to drop back to cautious. Ah, uh, yep. Feeling like maybe they should contribute something, given that they're getting paid and everything. It's a hard line between getting horrifically slaughtered and doing nothing. Yeah. Um, the spirit of Stagthorn are going to stick with aggressive. Yep. They're um. Yeah. 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 I mean, they they, they want to stay on. The, they're providing a valuable meat shield role, which I don't want them to use up by getting killed off too quickly. Um, the river raiders are pretty happy at normal. Um. Uh, the Pythaxian regiment are going to drop back to normal. Cool. Trying not to get the last of them killed. And um, 
the stag runners are going to stick with normal and not put hold the line back up at this time. Cool, cool. Run on. Alright, so the stag runners endeavour to take the Pytaxians out. And crit. The weeks. It's going to be a bad day to beat the Pytaxians at that point. But at least they've put their defensive back to normal. Honestly, that might make a real difference to them, but I don't think it'll be enough. Alright, um... So that is a 32. Cool. Uh, sorry, 34 because of their mounted bonus. Cool, and then add a d4 on top of it for the crit. Yep. Uh, and um, that is a 38. So functionally a 38. Uh, cool. Uh, your... The stag runners hove into them scattering their forces in several directions and leaving them with a huge gaping hole through the middle of their army. And uh, they do not fall, but they look like they are uh, coming apart at the seams. They may ra- they may end up routing. Yep, so you're looking at your stats for making the, the route check? Yes. Okay, uh, at the end of the round when they are reduced, they, they have passed their route value. Yep. So at the end of the round, they will make a morale check and either scatter or stay in. Right. Or stay in it. Okay, so I did that wrong with the bowman. Yes, they I'm do not sorry. to flee immediately, they flee at the end of the round. Yep. The, uh, the relative merit of which is that you may have to assign more people to target the Pytaxian regiment, or you may choose to hope they fail their morale check. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm going to give them a chance to route and see what happens. I'm sorry about playing that wrong before. Doesn't make a lot of difference to me. Okay. Cool. Alright. Uh, so the regiment are still in it? Yep. The the um the um Pytex regiment are not taken down. Correct. Yep. They are not out of hit points. They're merely um dropped below twenty five percent. Yep. Or equal to the CR. Okay, the river raisers will again target the clockwork army. Uh, sure, the Pytaxian regiment, however, are in the middle. Oh yes, good point. The Pytaxian regiment then get to mount their attack. Yep. And they are going to. They have their orders. They're going to try and wipe out the stag runners. Okay. Uh, not terrible. Uh, back to normal twenty. Uh, that will not do it. Cool. Nope. All right. The river raisers take a shot at the clockwork army. Uh, and roll really well. Uh, so that's a twenty-nine. Hit with a raise. Cool. And it is the spirits who will um, target um, add this, um, the cat's poor mercenaries. <laughs> sure. And again, roll exceedingly poorly. That's a 14, which I can't imagine. Uh, sorry, 16. Uh, no, that will not do it. Cool. Well, even with even with going aggressive and everything. Yeah, yeah, they've got. I mean, I rolled a three. Yeah, you had to argue with. Mm-hmm. Cool. I, I, in fact, I haven't rolled above a three for these guys. But you know, they're, they look impressive. Though. They're they're providing an incredibly vital defensive um, role by taking the hits. All right, team catch four mercenaries going to try and kill the Mimanese. Yep. And crypt them. Oh, that's nasty. Yep. Ooh, ah. Uh, this is a bit cautious. Uh, uh, 
uh, what is functionally a 29. Okay. okay. So that's nice and straightforward. Yep. And the um, uninjured Mithenese take a moderate hit. Yep. And um, they're definitely not knocked, knocked down, but they certainly take a good solid blow. Yep. The cat's poor mercenary's chair, having earned their money for the day. Yeah, that's that's the only the second time they've hit anybody. <laughs> but it's good hit. Yeah, like a cat, they play with you for a while and yep. then they strike. Yep. Okay, move knees. Yep, we'll take a shot at the cat's poor mercenaries. Mervoyans. And um, not liking this getting hit by them thing. Yeah, I know you would. And we'll miss again. Whee! All right, and it's the Clockwork Army. Kill the rat. We'll keep picking on the Spirit of Stagthor? Yes. Good for them. Uh, impressively, with a 27. Uh, that 28, 29. 29? Yep. Cool. They take a bunch more damage. All right, so. The uh, Clockwork... They have a lot of guys. They're definitely yeah. losing them. The Clockwork Cavalry, however, are not looking super healthy anymore. Yep. <laughs> um, the thing is... Uh, because it's a comparatively small number of them, they are only a huge army, so I believe they're only, um... Well, they are, five, they are 500 men, so they are effectively outnumbered two to one by the next army on the battlefield. Yeah. But they just fight on, you know, mm-hmm. limbs gone, legs dangling. <laughs> Very Terminator-style, though. Very much so. Alright. Uh, and... Clean Clockwork Knight, and done. Yes, we make morale. Uh, the um, Pytaxians get the opportunity to rout. Yes, they do. So they will make their morale check, and I believe they break and flee. Cool. Um, so you see the Pytaxian regiment here, backs pushed against the wall, um, look to their commander to rally and do something heroic. Um, having seen him do so many, many times before, but of course the man leading this army is not Avanish Jerg. The man leading this army is his less charismatic second. And he makes some key wrong decisions in that brief moment, looks indecisive, and then the army panics and flees in all directions. Okay. And provokes from everyone. Yes. But the question is, do I take the opportunity to break them and kill the rest of them? Or do I let them run? I mean, what's your incentive in letting them run? Just not killing the... Uh, killing A the, bit less slaughter of Pytax. Of Pytaxians defending their homes and it's things. Fair. Like, um, it's, it's a political decision at that point rather yeah. than a military one. Yeah, because the thing is that... Um, Without them on the battlefield, it's just the mercs and the clockwork guys. Yeah. In the absence of instruction, um, the spirit of Stagthorn Gorham's army will continue to fight them, but they will actually um, follow any sort of order to stand down. Yeah. So Kalen calls to the Kalen um, advises everyone not to pursue the fleeing Pytaxians. Sure. We've already killed one of their armies, which means a l- and you know nearly killed the second one, which means the bulk of their people have gone down. They flee. Yeah. Um, some, you know, miscellaneously some back into the city, most yeah. of them out away. Yeah. And Pytax 2 is off the map. Cool. And round we go again. Yep, everybody makes morale checks. Uh, and 
uh, they rout and flee, uh, and at that point, um, the Cat's Paw mercenaries see them go, and immediately drop banner and start waving white flags and dropping their weapons, pulling yep. themselves back to a slightly um, better surrender position, better in the sense that it's away from the Clockwork Knights. As soon as they see that the only army left on the battlefield is the Clockwork Knights they drop and yield and yep. effectively voluntarily rout. Yeah. Because they are mercenaries, you are obliged to accept their surrender whether you want to or not, but yep. you, know, you want to anyway. Yep, so they leave the field. The Catsport mercenaries surrender. Yep. And it is the... Um, uh, and functionally cease to exist as a force because um, even if they get away alive, everybody's not likely to hire them again in a hurry. Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, I mean, I know they didn't do a super job attacking, but they did do some... They they, they fulfilled their contract. Yes, but they also yielded. When, yeah. Like, I don't think this is... I think this is definitely strongly in your favour, but I don't think it's unwinnable for Irvini at this point. No, no, but um, there is a point at which you can't expect a mercenary yeah, army yeah. to hold the line, and that, that was that point. Cool. Watch me roll my initiative. Oh, yeah, okay. So does it matter at this point if it's only my army's No, probably works? not on the whole. Yeah, let's just leave it with what, where we because are. Because you know the Clockwork Knights will go at the bottom and they will stay in standard formation. Yeah. All right. Um, these stag runners will stick with normal. Yep. Um, and, in fact, um, the Mervinese army will um, advance up to normal for a moment because one thing you can count on is the Clockwork Army will hit the same targets. Yep. Uh, and everybody will just stick with normal. Yep. Alright, and the stag runners will try and beat them some Clockwork men and take their mounted bonus, reluctantly remove their mounted bonus. Yep. Mounted Clockwork Knights sweep around them. Alright, um, so that is a Twenty-one. Uh, yes, uh, that reminds me. The um, knights will activate their scary guy thing. Yeah, they'll taunt the river raisers this time. Cool. The implacable foes just continue to march on, no matter how hurt they are. Yeah, yeah, it's it's as scary as the end of the Terminator so movie. Morale check. Yeah, they got a ten. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So they're at a two minus defense, two offense. Minus two DB and OV. Yeah, because they don't have to. They don't have to win the fight. They could just kill one small army of humans, and that would still be a bad yeah. outcome from the River Raiders' point of view. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah. So that was a twenty-one to hit them. Cool. They barely scraped through. Yep. So they take a little bit of damage, Correct. but are not out. But not a stunning amount. Cool. The River Raiders take a swing at them, and um, get a um, fifteen. Miss. Yep, that's the um, that's the morale thing, and the spirit of Stagthorn make a real <laughs> make a real solid effort to actually injure a guy. Alrighty, and that's certainly better than I've been. Did they roll another three. They did not roll a three. They rolled an eight, and they're proud of their eight because that is a twenty-one. That will miss. Okay. The spellbreaker raises their DV. Yeah, but um, you know, but the point is, it wasn't yep. a crappy roll. The Mivonese will take a swing at the clockwork guys and actually roll pretty well. Uh, 23. Uh, yes. And damage. And the clockwork army at this point are starting to look shredded. 
whether or not they're at the point that they would route, you're not sure because that's usually based off a, a read of their morale as opposed to the actual physical injuries they've sustained. They certainly look like the army is coming apart physically. Horses are down. Horse units have been separated from their clockwork horses, that sort of thing. Yeah. On the other hand, whether they've passed their route threshold or not, they just keep coming. Yeah. Alrighty. And it is the and speaking of keeping coming, it's their attack. Yep. Tuesday death. Uh, so numbered here, so uh, that tactical priorities change. Yeah, I, I literally have a yeah, list of tactics that say, yeah. that say if X do Y. Yeah. Um, and at the point where they are no longer likely to win. Um, like, logic would suggest at the point where they're no longer likely to win, the smartest thing to do would be either surrender or um, escape, live to yeah. fight another day. They do neither. Instead, they go for the biggest and most dangerous army they can find. Um, presumably, like, as a short-term strategy, it's terrible. As a long-term strategy, it's a good idea. They yeah. kill your big army, Pytax wins the Greater War. Yeah. Unfortunately, in this case, your big army are the Spirits of Stagthorn. And they either don't know the difference or aren't capable of reacting to the difference. Yeah. So they will hit them for 20. Okay, so they, um, that's less good than the hits that they've been managing, but, oh, and in fact, that is just a flat connect. Their DV is 20. Yep. So it hits them for no damage. Yep. They have nothing doing extras, so cool. Cool. We stay at the same tactics. Yep. And roll round again. Stag runners miss them. Yep. Uh, the river raises. Oh, are they stick? Do, do they want to use their implacable foe thing on the river raises again? Sure. Cool. Uh, the river raises make a roll check and fail. Uh, the river raises try and hit them and fail. Yep. Um, the spirits. Come on, guys. Miss. <laughs> and um, Sinclair's army. Come on, boys. Save our bacon. Uh, I, I'm just kicking this. All they wanted was there to only be one up, have this many big guys backing them up. Get a 22. Oh, they will not surrender. They will not give way. They'll fight and they'll conquer for our country. And they live another round and yep. get to make another attack. Correct. Cool. And the spirits take, and some more guys go down on the spirit team. Yep. And we roll around again. Yep. Stag runners. Uh, Don't roll um, a terrible number for a change of pace. They, at this point, appear to be almost literally coming apart at the seams, and yet still they fight on as long as they're capable of uh, standing and swinging, they continue to do so. Okay, the river raises make a morale check. Uh, fail again. Um, and get a 20 to hit them. Uh, no damage. Cool. They, um, the morale check is helping them. Spirits make an attack. Roll really well. And um, get a 26 minus whatever. Uh, sorry, uh... 28 minus whatever. Uh, minus nothing. The, um, the DV they're opposing goes up. Okay. So effectively their armor is higher because they deflect some of the yep. spirit army's supernatural capacities. So 28. So 
you see Jamandi raise her sword high and call out in a very lively and loud sounding voice for Stagthorn! Stagthorn! Rallies the army! Stagthorn! In a variety of cries of different languages. And then Ford charge the spirits of Stagthorn and rip in through the clockwork knights. And the last of them steps up and goes, Blade with Jumandi, Blade with Jumandi. She ducks, pivots, and very much like Vaan, does the little trick where she flicks its blade up and then runs it clean through the center with her Eldori longsword. And the clockwork knights are reduced to a twitching pile of gears. Still whirring, still... Clawing themselves across the battlefield, but at this point it is no longer a fight, it is a slaughter. People are hitting them on the head with clubs until they break apart, finally. And the, um, they of course get their last attack on the spirit. Yep. If it was a living army, I, you're welcome to roll it for the um, cinematic value. Fumble! Yeah. <laughs> Yep, what, with, what that, with being dead, they do not hit very well. Yeah, I, I think that at this point you've hit the minimum the, the minimum number of knights had just become too low. Yep. Once they no longer have horses or arms, they're very much in the black knight's position. They were a great army, though. They were fantastic. They were terrifying. Alright, but nonetheless. <laughs> and the spirits of Stagthorn turn, pivot very precisely and militarily... And all, one after another, in a horrific cacophony of noise, turn up to where the commanders of the army are and where your banners are flying. And there is a clang of scale and metal and everything else. As they slap their hearts, wave their banners, sheathe their swords, and turn and begin to march triumphantly back in the direction of Stagthorn. They actually stay visible for quite some time. They go at least two kilometers before they disappear altogether, but the further they march, the more less corporeal and the more translucent they become, until eventually they just fade out altogether. And Caitlin watches them go for quite some distance. And the Pytaxian, the defences of Pytaxia are broken down. And laid open. The army is fleeing, what remains of their army is fleeing into the city or out onto the fields. The gates are battered down, there are pockets of infighting raging within the city. (laughs) But their armies are broken, Pytax has fallen. And Kaelin will glance over at Bryn. Hmm. How how the rest of our larger pack have done their part. Now the alphas fight. Tristram, Michaela, we need to break into the city. Sorry, Tr- Tristram, Switzerland, we need to break into the city. I quite understand. We must fly. <laughs> <laughs> and in you go. Yes. Dum dum dum. I know that's not the end, but I thought that was worthy of a dum dum dum. Well, we can in fact leave it there if we've had enough. No, absolutely not. It's only 8.50. I've got some clockwork king hunting to do. Okay, so now I need to go out of my army stats. Yeah, yeah, I think um, it's time to do, do some um, de-army-fying. I did not lose an army, but I did... Although, um... I, um was slightly dodgy with the um, Avenging Bowman, but, you know, we didn't want to redo the round, so 
It's fine. I'm, I'm not super worried about it. Yeah. Ah, I see that was your point of contention, correct? Yeah, because you would have wiped them out. The, the um, You would have absolutely have kept hitting them based on your previous tactics. You would absolutely have hit them and you would absolutely have killed them stone dead. But as Pytag... On the other hand, I suppose arguably those were your next three rolls, so maybe you wouldn't have, but... As, as Pytag says the, um... Uh, is the last threat to take all we were faced, there's no more problem. <laughs> so it just doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's inevitably going to come a time when Caleb needs that horn, but yeah. the thing is... Yeah, that's that's the thing about your one-shot item, oh, I used it. Otherwise you get to the end of the campaign you're like, oh, I never used the thing. Yeah, yeah, but you know, the thing was, I really can't see bringing everybody down here next month for another grand invasion. It's fair. Mm-hmm. This was the moment. The barricades, listen to this. No one is coming to help you fight. You have no chance, no chance at all. Why throw your lives away? And I'm happy with the resolution where um, I didn't rout the last army. I didn't um, destroy the last uh, army entirely. As it was, we killed quite a lot yeah, of Pythagoreans. Yeah. Although where they flee to was an interesting argument for them. Given, like, they're not going to flee across the border into political asylum of Mavoy. No. No, I suspect they're going to be done as a fighting force, but there's a distinction between done as a fighting force and almost all dead. Actually, they might, depending on um, how the Mavoy's um, liberation of their city goes. Um, do we want to resolve the um, uh, treasure and loyalty checks now? We'll do that after. Uh, it's probably a good idea to do it now, because otherwise we'll almost certainly forget. That's my thought. So... Okay, so... I presume you don't desperately need me to separate these um, build points into different armies? You do not, and I accept there's a consequence of plot that I don't get the build points for destroying the last Mimines, the last Pytaxian army, because yeah, I didn't. And, and you are expressly not allowed to... Um, uh, Loot the mercenaries. Yeah, yeah, because that's not how the game is played. Um, no, the advantage I get yeah, for the merc- in the mercenary context is that they surrender when they otherwise wouldn't have surrendered. Correct. Thus, I get more. I get to defeat them more easily. Uh, so uh, you loot them for their CR and build points. Uh, so that is yeah, there. Uh, so that's nine from the Clockwork Cavalry. Cool. I'll just have to find where I haven't got the ACR here, so I'll just have to find the Pytaxian Horde. They are CR8. Okay, so that's eight build points. Okay. And I believe that's that. Yep. Two armies taken out. So, um, so two, because we took out, because we won a victory, or possibly because we defeated armies, yep. we get a loyalty check, but because there's a lot of armies on the battlefield, 
Um, I believe there's two tactics, there's either one or two tactics at stake and one of the armies learns one. Uh, so the way this works is um, you have, each time you have won a battle, so uh, you have beaten four armies. Yep. So you functionally have four shots at those tactics. Okay, but there's two Mivanese armies and the River Raiders on the battlefield as well as Kaelin's actual armies. Correct. Let's. Yeah, this is a good. That's a good system, and the hooves are in there as well, because they were there for the start. They were the equivalent yeah. of that Pokemon that, you, and I'd like to call that I I can't. Uh, while the spirits were on the battlefield, the spirits of Stagthorn are completely incapable of learning tactics. They yeah. in fact have none. Cool, because so, they're made up of such a disparate mob. Cool. So if we say that that's one to six a d six, and we roll a d six four times. Yeah, or you just take a 50-50 shot that it's you, your guys or their guys, and then work out which one of yours, but by the way... No, I like, I like yep. this map, so... System. So, the bowmen pick up one. Yep. Um, I'm going to say if I roll the same army, I'm rolling again. Sure. Uh, the runners pick up one. Yep. The uh, Sinclair's army learns something. Yep. Because they stayed until the very end. And uh, Sheridan's army pick up something. Cool. So, let me just dig out the army sheet again and just put it away. So, this actually is relevant. Uh, at this point, I need the Mivoyan armies back again. Um, I'll just hang on to the river raises as well for the moment. Um, yeah, they, have, I don't know what's happening to the river raiders. They're definitely yet. not pissing off back to Mill. But in theory, you will end up fighting these very Mivoyan um, armies at some point in the future. Yeah. So whether or not they learn these tactics is actually kind of relevant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as to you, you are making two loyalty checks. Ah, uh, yes. Against your nation's control, DC. Okay. Alrighty. Um, my four unrest. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Right. No. And no. So, um, it's a shame because I really wanted that not fade away for the Bowman, but, um, my army, the political situation is just too fragmented. Yep. Um. Yeah. They're, they're worried they've, about what's happening at home and stuff like that. What they've learned from this is have a um, have a magic horn that summons armies. Yeah. Well, also the um, the stag runners actually um, can't learn a tactic. Right. Well, they're at full up. But um, you know, so actually the hoofs of thunder are as well. So um, and the bowmen um, failed. So it would have been the bowmen twice. At which point they failed both their loyalty checks. And what they learned from this uh, what they learned from this fight is that they survived, and they're really surprised by that. Yep. Uh, and Sheridan, who we all know was the uh, sorry Sinclair, who we all know was the better commander anyway. Yep. Um, has learned a tactic of some kind, which I will play with. Yep. Off screen. Sure. It's fine. Yeah. The um, what the stag runners learned is they're the best there is. Never been beat. Never will. Yep. <laughs> The Bowman learned that they survived, which was really surprising because they usually die at this point. Uh, and this does this um, does not come up at this stage, but later when you get to it, uh, Rasseline will just flag that entire um, 
the entire portion of the loot off the battlefield to you on the basis that she's taking Pytaxia. Yeah, yeah, I think that's is quite yeah. inclined to be generous. Yeah, the, this is an appropriate time for her to generate, demonstrate her generosity and appreciation of the vast wealth that yeah. I'm ceding to her. Which is literally, you know, what she says to you is, you know, we appreciate Stagthorn's valiant efforts on the battlefield and we can acknowledge that without them the day could not be won, you know, to the victor go the spoils. Yeah. Because I put it, you know, her armies were great and they really did help. But I put in bigger and more impressive armies. Yes, you did. <laughs> and um, she's getting, um, to a certain extent, the more impressive prize. Although there's certainly an argument that the land of Pytax is um, potentially equal in value to the city, but it's certainly not more. Yep. Cool. So that's fine. I, I, I feel pretty good about that as a scenario. Cool. That's definitely one of those ones where she was wise not to push that point. <laughs> cool. All right. And at that point... Um, we roll on with what's happening next. I just figured... Um, yeah, I think that's wise. While we still remember what happened in the battle. I haven't, however, knocked my... Um, taken my... I haven't paid my armies. That's fine. Because I don't know how long they're going to be active. Yeah, I'm perfectly happy with that. As yeah. I, the next kingdom turns problem. Yeah. And unlike do my did I take loyalty, I'm definitely gonna notice as there isn't a giant hole in my kingdom's finances where paying my army should be. Are you in fact broke at this point? Uh it's hard to say. Because I actually made my economy check, I don't think I actually <laughs> your 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 um shroding is broke. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm probably only fairly broke. What I am is um, I've got like five points of unrest and um, uh, in fairly horrible trouble. But the thing is that, um, and I may well take a bunch more because my stability is quite low. Well, you know that you've got a bunch of um, you know liberal equivalents in your city harping about how you you know selfishly attacked you know beautiful Pytaxia and you know burnt their grand um, academy of the Bardic Arts to the ground and that sort sort of thing. Yeah. On the other hand, um, I'm pretty happy with the, um, the thing is that when I'm not trying to fight the war in the background, I can just build a bunch of unrest-producing things and get this under control, even if my unrest does double next turn, which is just as well, because I know there's some point where you hit a number of unrest, and if I get another D4, I'm definitely heading up towards that point, that you start losing hexes or something. Uh, yes, once you pass a certain point your citizens actively start rebelling against you and you start losing hexes. Yeah. Just You're a good ways away from it yet, I think. Cool. Because I've got five. <laughs> and then at some point you move into the pe- your citizens actively start making assassination attempts against you and they yeah. But Good fucking luck. I slid next to Bruno. <laughs> uh, d- it's probably less the delicate assassination attempt and more, sir, there's a mob of th- mob with torches closing on the castle. Yeah. Time for army combat. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly don't want to fight my own citizens. Um, anyway. So you are heading for the glorious palace of Pytaxia again. Yes, um, we know the way. Yep. Well, Kayla knows the way, because um, I went in with Michaela and yep. I'm not taking her yep. this time. But I am going in with Bryn, so we do this the stealthy route. So Pytaxia has rallied hard against um, this attack. You can see there are quite literally citizens' militia forming in the streets to fight yeah. off soldiers and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. 
based on what your agreement was, Rasseline is basically pulling back at this point so she can come and gloriously liberate the city from your evil forces. Yeah, but she requires me to first assassinate the king. Yes. Then she will come in and liberate the city. Yes, but it doesn't work if her soldiers are the ones who are killing yeah. and burning through the streets. Yeah, yeah. Well, also, she may well want to... Um, you know, handle the whole thing a bit more diplomatically. Yes. I mean, at this point, Pytax's walls, walls are done and its defenders largely routed. In yeah. the event that the, the Clockwork King is gone, she can start sending parlays around saying, guys, do you really think you want to handle this by... Do you really want to think you want to handle this with street combat against my formed armies? But or would you perhaps like a more diplomatic She's, she's made the play clear that basically um, after Ravetti's death, she will come and es- her armies will escort yours out of the city. Functionally, yeah. she, she's not um, doesn't make any bones about what she's doing here to you because she's actually yeah. trying to get you on board with this plan. She's going to chase you out of Pytaxia and liberate it from being yeah. King Kaelin. Functionally, yeah. Um, Kaelin has expressed a desire that she not tell any actual lies about what he's been doing. Yeah. Um, but is she, you know, I don't think she'll have difficulty portraying him as enough of a bad guy for her purposes no, without no, actually she's, lying she's, about... She's actually just planning on entirely letting Pytax do its own thing in yeah. that regard. Yeah. She doesn't need to black and white reputation. Pytax are not fools. Yeah. You know, they are going to notice that uh, Rasseline was attacking them. Yeah. But it's it's the difference between she's a much more acceptable leader as the ongoing leader than Kaylin is. Yeah. And that was the whole goal, because I don't want to be holding a captive city so, yeah, down. There is there is fighting in the streets. There are still plenty of clockwork guards and things in the streets. Nothing that's going to inconvenience you guys in any fashion. Yeah. Smash through them like nine pins. Yeah. And you close upon the palace. Yes. Uh, at which point um, Tristan and Svetlana will fall behind to hold the line. Yeah, and they'll um, essentially... They're keeping anybody else who might rally to defend Duravetti from coming into the palace, which yep. is, you know, quite a lot of people because he's a beloved king and he's under threat. And you and Bryn basically step back into character scale somewhere around the gates of um, the Palace of Phytaxia to do cool. as you please. Alright, so um, based on the fact that I've broken into this place before, yep. what's my best route of entry? Because... Where I was the last time is roughly where I want to be. I had an idea that I sort of walked past Aravini's personal bedroom. Yes. Um, that kind of room where, um, th- like, you know, the garden that uh, we, we ran out the cell, we, there was the ambassador's quarters into the garden. Sure. We kind of probably want to try and get back in through that general vicinity. Yep. First of all, uh, you get a spots check. Cool. Eight. Okay, so... will see it when it hits him in the face. Kaelin can't see a mammoth. So, well before you... Well, well before you actually hit the palace, basically, around the point... Um, where it seems like your armies are about to win the day, so Kaelin at this point... Had depending on when you've gone in, is either still actively on the battlefield or is breaking into the city, one of the two. I think, um, for drama purposes, Kaelin, um, left the battlefield right after the, um, spirits did. Like, he wasn't around for the yep. mopping up. Yep. But he stayed on the field because he'd summoned the spirits. So, Bryn sort of... <clears throat> looks up to the sky, goes low, 
ducks and sort of hides and watches something go past. And then, didn't see us, whatever it was. Did you see that? The shadow? Something big flew out of the palace. Hmm. She shrugs at this. You know, there's, there's nothing she can do about it, but she has at least perceived it happening. Well, I don't know if that'd be a Ravetti trying to escape. Hard to see the point. I mean, he can teleport. Yeah, I mean, it certainly wasn't him yeah. uh, on his own. She saw something giant flying with wings out yeah. of the palace. Callum's got nothing. And on would you go. Yep. Okay, so when you get there, um, the palace gates and things are still actually defended. There are a number of clockwork men and that's still around. <clears throat> and presumably your intent's to sneak through, given you've got yes. Cool, she makes a sneaky sneak. And with a meager 31, there's actually a chance she will be detected, but not this day. Yep. The clockwork guys have a lot on their minds. Yeah, they certainly do. Um, when you come in, the, the palace is pretty locked down, which doesn't surprise you in any way. The cleaning units are just not present. You could presumably find them if you put your mind to it, but obviously Erevi's put everything into lockdown mode. Yeah, presumably they have their closets that they stand in. With yeah, their, yeah, they um, must have a storage place, units, some, they must have storage places somewhere. And like the um, thing from Order of the Stick, everyone else stand in your always spots. <laughs> and, um, yeah, then you are free to penetrate the palace you do not find this all that hard because most of the security at this point is um, either dragged out further out into the city, getting dragged out to the grand melee that's happening at the gates with Svetlana and Tristan, or um, guarding you know external entrances and things. The internal corridors are pretty damn dead. Well, one of the advantages of Team Tristan and Svetlana is they can both be very, very quiet if they get overwhelmed, uh, very, very quiet and escapey if they get themselves overwhelmed, and very loud and noisy if they need them to create a big noisy distraction. Okay, so where are you headed to here? You know where Aravetti's quarters are. I'm headed there. Cool. And you also know where the um, where his workshop is and ish where the throne room is. Yeah, I'm headed to Aravetti's quarters. Ooh. If he's not there, I'll try the throne room. Yep. But but you know, on the one hand, I kind of want to find him, but on the other hand, I really don't want to find Vilmorkov. I would actually be perfectly happy to um, not fight Vilmorkov, or at least not fight him until after I fought Aravetti. I would imagine if he's got any sense, the two of them will be together, and yeah. there's no way I can pull that off. But. So you move quietly to that sort of wing of um, that wing of bed chambers and things, and again, like um, like like the diplomatic one, this looks like it's a big door, big bed chamber, that sort of thing. Because I said previously, didn't I? I sort of down around the corridor a bit from the diplomatic wing, essentially. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to declare at this point, um, Bryn and I drink our potions of bark skin. Cool. They're good for about an hour. Yep, that should be amply enough to get you anywhere you want to be within the palace. Yeah, I mean, if he's left, then the, the, then we've expended that extremely expensive resource. But... Okay, there are no guards on the door of the bedchamber. The doors are shut. Cool. Um, Kaelin will... Um, look cautiously at the door. Wiggle the door handle or just wallop it with an adamantine greatsword? Uh, he wallops it with an adamantine greatsword. It might be trapped. 
And if it's trapped with a subtle poison trap, that will take care of it. If it's, of course, it's trapped with a giant lightning room, it will hit Caelan. I'll have Bryn go back a bit, even though the odds are she could stand right there and it wouldn't hit her. Cool. Uh, there is, in fact, a bang as the door is basically kind of crunches. Yeah. Um, it is actually not even locked. Okay, so that was overkill. But, you know, I'm okay you, with that. You sort of wallop into it and the door just goes poof and yeah. it bursts open. Um, and inside what you see is a completely magnificent bedchamber. Uh, it has a polished tile of floor and walls um, what appears to be a tinkling fountain in the shape of a uh, there a no sorry room description then other things yeah, yeah. in the room um, so there is in fact a unicorn in here that is the fountain that's like a stone, awesome. a stone unicorn obviously yeah. the water is ma- being magically generated out of its horn okay Kaelin considers that ridiculously ostentatious but I think it's awesome and insofar as you can see you presume this is actually a magical fountain because it doesn't seem to be actually attached to anything the yeah. water is flowing directly out of the horn by magic and then sort of dissipating presumably somewhere yeah. in the bowl um, and this thing is small enough that Kaelin could almost personally pick it up and walk off with it yeah um Dozens of sort of beautiful sculptures made of um, made of a variety of woods and stones around the room. Big, big, lovely double beard, owl skin beard. Sorry, owl skin, owl bear skin. Awesome rug across it. Okay, that I would nick. Um, and there is a woman sitting on the bed. Okay, who uh, sits up. You know, in rather alarm as you come bursting through the door, waving weapons and yelling and kicking yep. and all the rest of it. Uh, and the Clockwork King is not here. Okay, I want to know who the woman is. <laughs> There's a very short list of people that we know exist in the in this palace, and she's not on the list. That's a damn good question. And if you wait for me to load my notes, I will tell you things. Who's this girl? Who the hell is she? Hot <laughs> <Up> for a ghost. <laughs> so, this woman is uh, not what you would call stunningly attractive, but nor is she particularly hideous. She is has sort of mid-length brunette hair that just generally looks vaguely untidy, like she sort of takes care of it in a haphazard fashion. She is in obviously nice... Um, Obviously nice clothes, but they're not terribly noble and elegant silken dresses and all the rest of it, so much as really fancy but practical clothes. Um, And she is an elf. Okay. You do not necessarily know who who she is off the bat, although... The intuition is pretty obvious, and particularly because one of the things that is in the back of this room is a big painting. And it is a painting of a man whom you have seen before in Castruccio Iroveti's head. Castruccio Iroveti himself is a younger man, his arm around a woman who is an exact copy of the one who is in this room, smiling at her, and they have a very small bubba in her arms. And she looks up, startled, as you burst through the door, um, 
and will not actively draw a weapon, but comes up in a vaguely, very vaguely fighting stance, you know, her hands up defensively. And and Caelan stares at her for a long moment, and his eyes visibly track to the painting, to her, to the painting, to her, to Bryn, yep. and then he sheathes the greatsword. And Bryn ducks low to the ground and watches this woman, not with anger, but with more curiosity than anything else. And, who are you? What are you doing in here? Uh, sorry about the door. Um, I didn't see this coming. Uh, my name's Caelan Thorne. Uh, this is my wife, Bryn. Uh, are you Cassiopeia Rivetti? She looks at you slightly incomprehendingly for a moment. She says, Yes, of course I am. Who else would I be? And Bryn looks at her. Mother? Cassiopeia blinks a few times at this. I'm sorry, what? This is, uh, or was Brunhilde Rivetti. And there's literally a little plaque underneath that says Castruccio, you know, um, Cassiopeia Brunhilde. Yeah. And Brun sort of mutters. And Cassiopeia sort of, <laughs> her head turns involuntarily. She looks at the portrait behind her. She looks back at you. I see. And where then is my husband? I don't know. That's what we that's who we were looking for. Okay. And you may give me a sense motive check and get a read on her. Yeah, that would be nice. I would really like to know what's going on here. 21. Okay. Bryn is on a... Actually, Caniston makes a sense motive on 19. Yeah, she's been... I've been bad for her. She's been putting in one level for a while. Okay, so the first thing you pick up from this is that she has no idea who you are whatsoever. The name Caelan Thorne means nothing to her. Okay, that's quite the trick. She is really out of the loop. Yeah, I mean, obviously she's quite a bit out of the loop, but she's even more out of the loop than I thought. Um, The name Brunhilde does mean something to her in the sense that it's her daughter. She doesn't uh, obviously connect that very well to the 40 year, 40 year old woman that is standing in front of her. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, the thing that Kaylin most picks up is how spectacularly disinterested in that she seems. Like, this should provoke some sort of big violent reaction from her. Either denial yeah. of, you can't possibly be my daughter, or, oh my god, my darling beloved, I've missed you so much. Yeah. Um, what you get is more this, oh, well, you know, that's going to be awkward and 
inconvenient and difficult. Um, her main concern is for where Irovetti is, like, he is very much what most of her world revolves around. In a way that really shouldn't be, like, no matter how much you love and care about your husband, your long-lost daughter should be a thing, one way or the other. Yeah, that... So that seems... Like, my perception of that is that that's kind of an unnatural reaction. Oh, yes. Like, there's something wrong with her? Yes, absolutely. Um, she... But, but in... Because in, it could also be someone who is pathologically uninterested in her child as a natural state, or it could be, like, produced by enchantment or mind control, or someone's been messing with yeah. her head. I will also point out um, that, though she is an elf, so um, it is... Hard to tell here. Uh, can you give me a perception check and make a spot check? Well, I'm super great at those. Uh, that's a 16. Okay, so as far as Caitlin can see, she is an exact double for the woman in the picture. Not older. Not even a little bit older. Not even a little bit older. She is an exact double of that woman in the picture. She is wearing different clothes. But that picture, is, from the way she looks, the picture might have been painted yesterday. Yikes. At which point I start to wonder if she's real at all. And from the sense motive, she is definitely alarmed by you. Yeah. But only in the sense of two weirdos have just kicked down my bedroom yeah, yeah. door. This is inherently a bad thing. Yeah. Not, oh my god, it's my husband's arch nemesis. He's yeah. come to kill me, or him, or both. Or well, something. I mean, the thing is that, like, even if Irovetti was deliberately keeping the Brunhilde thing from her, the, you know, his kingdom's been at war with mine for the past three years, and before... You know, she has to have a pathological lack of information about the what's going on outside this veg- this throne room to not have heard my name before. And she should have heard Bryn's too, for that matter. And then she sort of seems to regain her manner very slightly and looks slightly less alarmed. This is kind of obviously to your put on, but she needs yeah. to put on some social graces. And she says, I'm not sure what you're doing here, but... Uh, it's good to see you again, Brunhilde, she says very awkwardly, sort of looking at Bryn. And again, it's not this, how do I deal with this overwhelming emotion? It's, oh, what the fuck do I do with this problem? Yeah. Uh, Will you join me for tea? It's been some time since I've had company. Yeah, I'm getting that. Uh... This room, too, is spotlessly clean, but that doesn't surprise you. My lady, you're, um, I'm not sure how current your information is, but, uh, your husband declared war on me a year and a half ago. Uh, I'm here to fight him. War on whom? The Kingdom of Stagthorn. We, uh, sort of border with Pytax been here a few years now she oh and her eyes sort of light up with some sort of comprehension here she says you're the half-orc king yes yeah that's me uh well and it seems to try and put a, visibly pulls herself together and puts on a bit more of a courtly manner and gives you 
a, a sort of proper bow from fellow queen to fellow king. Yeah. Um, she says, then, I am most delighted to, I'm most delighted to meet you, your majesty. Um, may Stagthorn grow and thrive. I understand that my husband came to meet you at the festival of such and such, and uh, she gives you a date that is basically, um, I forget how many years ago now, but this is after your kingdom had formed. It's more or less one of your first meetings with Erebeti. Yeah. Not your first one, but it is your first one since you became king. Yeah. And Stagthorn really actually became any sort of power at all. Uh, I forget under what the circumstances were of that. But basically, from your sense motive, that's the last update she had on what Erebeti was doing. Uh... Thank you, but like I say, uh, we had a trade alliance for a few years, and, and then he declared war on me. There's an uh, invading army out outside the city. She nods. Seems to actually take this seriously. Caitlin's <laughs> you know. voice indicates that he's now drowning. <laughs> Goes over and sits down on one of the opulent couches because yeah. it's a big bedroom. It's it's not designed for receiving guests, yeah. but it's perfectly capable of doing so. She sits down and says, "You must tell me something of this. I have heard, I have heard very little of Stagthorn's dealings, and I would be." Most interested to know what has happened. It has clearly occupied Castruccio's attention. I. I. This. I don't know what's happening here, but I know when I'm out of my depth. I think we need. I, I don't wish to be rude, but I think we need to be going. No, no, I, I don't think so. I want to know what you did, why he hasn't come back since he went to see you. What do you mean? How, how long have you been in here? Seven years? Since I last saw Castruccio? Like when he went off to meet you. He never came back to see her again. And you just stayed in here? Why? You didn't go looking for him? Oh, he's come in from time to time. But we haven't talked, we haven't... Her eyes flicker to the beard. Not since he found you. Or not since he found her, she says, looking at Bryn. So that's it, is it? The daughter back again, she says, and there's no motherly love behind mm. this whatsoever. Really? Looks the two of you up and down kind of contemptuously. Yeah, but I'm not certain. I don't think that this is Casapea or Rivetti. Enough to take his attention off me. Who are you? And her face, which is a rather homely and kind of kind one, just twists kind of cruelly. Who do I appear to be? Cassiopeia Erevetti, of course. Yes, but you're not. 
Lover to King Castruccio Rivetti. And I'd be fascinated to know how you're managing that one, given that he's a clockwork golem. But that's not who you are. You're not... You're not my wife's mother. And I'm not even certain that you're an elf. Bryn stares at her. What game is this? Illusions? Shape-shifting? Some sort of magic? Who are you? What are you to... My father to Castruccio to the Clockwork King? She looks up. Bryn glances up the picture again. Some sort of... Consort? Some sort of substitution? Some sort of game? Kalen's brain creaks as he tries to remember the rumours that he heard about what was living in Kristrusi's palace. Uh, Uruveti, under spell of priestess of Gairona, who lives under his palace. He told me that wasn't true. But she's giving me that fey vibe. And so, yeah, the, the sequence of events as she lays them out is that um, uh, Irovetti went off to um, meet you in your capacity as king, met Bryn. Um, that is um, not the first time that he met you, because the first time he met you, he didn't demand Bryn the sword at yeah. first. Uh Certainly the first time he met you was first, he started asking questions. Yeah, the first time he met me was the... He asked for first straight away. He saw first and he asked for first because he met me at a big diplomatic assembly and first was there. And from that meeting, it's not that she... It's not this woman has never seen him again. He has, in fact, come back in several, several, several times. It's just they haven't... Uh, they haven't gone to bed, is what she's implying. Yeah. And they haven't really had any manner of conversations. He's just, like, seen her very briefly and gone out. And she seems spectacularly... Um, she, she's troubled by this, but not in the sense of help. I'm a prisoner in my room, more in bugger, you're ruining my fake relationship. Yeah, yeah, but um, she's not an elf. She's not Car- Cassiopeia or Rivetti. And whatever she is, time probably doesn't have as much meaning to her as it does even Cer- for elves. Yeah, you're certainly getting that impression of, like, well, seven years is, you know... Yeah, yeah. What she reminds me of is the dancing lady. Bad yeah, yes. yeah, there's a bit of that going on. Just come now. I must understand this situation. Sit. Take tea with me. Tell me of your problems with my husband. Nay, I, I, I don't think so. And can you make me a will save? Yep. <laughs> you knew it was coming. Yeah, well, once I worked out what was going on, but that took me a while. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, 19. So, you obviously do not know this woman, um, but you have been looking for a while for the solution to, uh, yes. to crack Irovetti in a non-violent way, yeah. and Cassiopeia seems like a charming woman. Yeah. You know, Charming. She, she's obviously friendly to you. You are, you are in fact charmed by her. You yep. consider her to be a moderately close friend. Yeah. And will take actions appropriately from there. At which I don't think sit down and tell me what's going on. Is no, no, all right. Is particularly um. And um, Kaylin's face changes slightly. 
and um alright yeah yeah I'd like to resolve this without bloodshed if we can and he sits down the interesting question therefore is how Bryn reacts to that yeah I'm just trying to remember what happens when one of your allies tells you that you're being charmed you don't know do you and Bryn glances at you glances back at her shakes her head slightly no that's the way everyone says it should work isn't it because you're my mother I should love you and care about you for who you are even though I don't know you you're a total stranger to me is that the way it's supposed to work she glances at Caitlin am I just supposed to love her now I don't know this woman and um, Kaylin considers her a friend, yeah. but that doesn't change his assessment of the situation. Yes. And he says, well, she doesn't seem to mean us any harm. It seems like we shouldn't trust her, but I'm pretty sure she's not your mother. Uh, I mean, uh, that doesn't make any sense. No, but I feel like I should be her friend too. <clears throat> but that's not my thought, is it? And Bryn glares across at her and makes her will save. Okay. And gets, you know, this woman seems charming and likable. And Bryn's like, no. Yeah, so basically the how this plays out is Kalen feels like this is a person he should trust. Yeah. So he's not... But he's um, his previous... Con- he's pretty certain that she's some kind of fake creature and not Casapé C- or Vetti. And his opinion on that hasn't changed. He's just decided that she's a non-hostile fair creature, despite the overwhelming balance of probability indicating that she is a hostile fair creature. And Cassiopeia rolls her eyes at this. She says, well, God damn it. If I'd known it was a daughter, if I'd known a daughter had come back, then I'd have known what the sticking point was, and I could have done something about it. But no, he never talks to me anymore. Well, I suppose when I get rid of you, the problem will be resolved. <laughs> Sounds like that goes both ways. <laughs> and just jumps across the table at her, because yeah. Bryn has no subtlety or depth about this whatsoever. Um, jumps across the table at her and starts trying to waffle into her. And as she does so, Cassiopeia stands up and begins to shift. And in a few moments where there was a homely elven woman in this room, there is now a large snake-like creature flickering its tongue out at you. Uh, and I'm pretty confident we're going straight to initiative here. Yeah, I I, th- I believe Charm Person can't compel me to, uh, once she starts taking hostile actions against Bryn, I believe that um, violates the... Um... Yeah, so why don't you set me up an initiative tracker with um, uh, Cassiopeia in quotes is probably the... Uh, yeah, sounds appropriate. Right, so, uh, basically... Your wife is trying is now trying to kill one of your dear friends. Yeah. Who is trying to kill her back again. Yeah. Um, you may take whatever actions you think are appropriate to that. Okay. Um, 
It's, it's definitely not as clear as Bryn started it and she is the guilty party here. Yeah. It's both of them are clearly trying to kill each other. Yeah. And then you essentially get additional saves when Cassiopeia starts telling you, you know, but you have to, like, actually help me. Yeah, yeah. Not just stand there wringing your hands going, cool. but, but, dear. Mm-hmm. Okay, she will probably solve that problem fairly rapidly. Yeah, I would imagine that... All right, so she gets at least a round or two as Caitlin um, doesn't immediately take hostile action against her. Yeah. But um, that's not going to last past... I wouldn't imagine that's going to last past her attacking Bryn. Okay, so Bryn's off like a bowl of gas on 24. All right. Oh, good God. Caitlin rolled really well for initiative, even though he's probably not going to be contributing helpfully on 21. Okay, and... Uh, both of them roll 20s. Yep. And end up on 24 initiative apiece. Yep. Uh, and Bryn wins by virtue of being a PC. Cool. Mm. So. so, we'll see what Kalen does based on what both of them have done by the time it rolls around to him. I don't think we desperately need to minis this. No, it doesn't. Do. There's she, a giant snake. <laughs> yeah, she's basically sitting across the table, sitting across a coffee table from you. Yeah. And then she leaps up and starts turning into a giant snake as Bryn just jumps straight across the table and waffles her upside the head immediately. And I'm calling out, as part of the weird magical effect here, Kaelin remains seated until his turn, even yeah. though that's kind of an unusual way to behave. Uh, Bryn is actually going to pull her blows here and go for non-lethal because she doesn't know what she is dealing with. Yeah. Um, and has, you know, is not the sort of character that routinely kills people as her first response. She's yeah. just violent as her first response. All right. If Kaelin knew what was going on, he'd absolutely go straight for lethal damage, but he doesn't. She will leap across the table and makes her movement and flurries her. Yep. Uh, so... Are all the same attack, so that'll be a miss. A 31 will almost certainly hit. And it doesn't have that. Cool. So Bryn leaps across the table and sort of just smacks her around the head a couple of times with two loping claws. Uh, and Cassiopeia takes a pile of damage. Well, that's and then hard shakes stuff. off the stunning first without trying. Yeah, yeah. It's that's how it always works. Yeah, yeah. Well, if Brun, if I ever took Brun to beat up regular people, it'd be real in large quantities. It'd be really useful. It's just the giant monsters and doesn't work so easily. And Brun deals her thirty points of damage straight off the bat. Good for Brun. Um, one thing you will notice off that is that. Um, Bryn's special training and rituals and things that she has put herself through to give herself Feybane and arm strikes do not do anything here. Yep. Whatever this creature is, it is not a Fey. Okay. Alright, and it's Giant Snake Ape Lady's turn. Yep. Giant Snake Lady. This would be really... I wonder... Obviously, this would have gone down totally differently if I'd said if you'd the, come in the, the first throne, time, or if I'd said the throne room. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a, this may well be exactly what I was looking for, and I'm sure it would have been entertaining to bring Michaela in here. Well, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like this is something Eravetti cares deeply about anymore. <laughs> so. Cassiopeia will shift into this snake-like form 
and her voice becomes slightly more hissing. And at this point, just sounds completely different. She doesn't sound like Cassiopeia with a snake mouth. She sounds like a totally different woman who has been putting on Cassiopeia's voice. And... My life has been needlessly difficult for all the, for these many years because of you two idiots. If I had realized it was so simple a problem, I would have taken care of it for dear Castruccio. Ah, oh, well, the opportunity comes up now to have him back at last. Brings her little tongue out and goes... And lightning erupts out of her mouth and a line across the room into both of you and can you both give me reflex saves? Cool. More Bryn's wheelhouse than yours, really, as Bryn just jumps straight over the top of this. 17. Uh, and you get struck with a bolt of lightning. Cool. That takes care of the charm person problem. Yes, yes it does. Y- you, uh, you simply cannot... It's not a powerful enough spell for Caitlin to just take this. Yeah, I mean... Like, in theory, I might call for something if she appeared that she was, um, you know, inadvertently hitting you with an area effect on the way to doing other yeah, things. Yeah, but, but, but given She's not really making any much bones about this. She'd have handled this differently if Bryn had failed her will save as well, I'm sure. But at that point, at this point, she just wants us dead and that's all there is to it. Uh, yeah, this is an act that threatens you, unsurprisingly. Yep. Yes, she hit me with a lightning bolt. I'm not choosing to believe that was an accident. Right, that was worth spending the hero point on making that will save. Uh, can you take uh, a sadly pitiful 24 points of lightning damage? Sure. Kellen rushes those hit points. He's got to go fight Castruccio after this. Alright. Plus, you know, who knows what else she can do. Uh, yep. However, Kellen is certainly hurt, but um, only appears slightly inconvenienced. Alright. Cool. He's still sitting in the damn chair. Alright, I think he flips out of the chair at the point that someone tries to hit him with lightning. Not well, yeah. and pretty much crushes the chair, because, yeah. you know, that that would be about how that goes down. Um, is that her whole action? Uh, it is. Cool. Alright. She will shape change and throw lightning. Oh. I feel like someone's been messing with my head. Funny that. But it all seems perfectly clear now, and Kaelin yanks out... Um, Gatekeeper, and um, proceeds to walk her about the head and shoulders with her. Uh, he is not doing on lethal damage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bryn's interest in doing so is rapidly diminishing as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thirty. Uh, yes, you smack her. Cool. Albeit less easily than you might think, she moves reasonably quickly, and there are a lot of thick scales there. Cool. Um, do you want the acid separately? I don't believe so, no. No, she has no particular vulnerabilities or immunities to it. Cool. Alright, so that is... 18 points of damage. Yep. Of a magical, uh, magical sword dripping... A magical face sword dripping with acid variety. Thirty-three. 
20. Very brief day, yeah. And uh, that would be a 1, but of course it is not a 1. Yep. At which point, oh, it's a 30. Yep, you hit her again. Yep, I hit her with all three. I rolled really well on that that round. Um, and that's a um, 15 points of da- additional damage. And Kaelin brutally lays about out the head and shoulders. Uh, is about the head and shoulders with his, uh, his great sword with a man who didn't know what was going on and finds it a tremendous relief that now we've got down to the fighting part. <laughs> And I ain't the brightest man, but I'm bloody lethal. And that has its own, and that says the quality of its own about it. And she sort of starts to rear back up at this, and Bryn just waffles her upside the face. Don't know what you are. Complicated magic, shapeshifter, some sort of creature. No, what you're not. Not my mother. Uh, miss, miss, miss. And a wall. Four, five, six, seven. A relatively paltry damage that time, but the fort save, however, will succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, as in the stunning first will succeed. Oh, good lord! <laughs> so. She takes relatively paltry damage as she sort of rears her head back and Bryn gets a quick swipe with her nails at her and then grabs her by the tongue and just pulls her down and goes bang into the knee and the snake reels, recoils, drops nothing as she appears to be holding nothing. Uh, Her clothes are gone entirely too. They have melded into the snake form. And she is stunned. Sweet! So then it's... So she spends her round on stunning and it's Caitlin's turn? Yeah, she spins around, staggering, endeavours to sort of cry out some sort of alarm to guards Irovetti who was listening, and just sort of croaks out awkwardly. Awkwardly, my loves, your enemies are here. Go for it. Oh, Galen full attacks her again. Yep. All right, but doesn't roll as well this time. That's a twenty-five. Uh, that will miss her. Cool. It bounces off some sort of shielding around her. Alright, uh, 27. That will hit her. Uh, 18. And um, that one's going to miss. Uh, 19 misses. Correct. So, um, yeah. Now, when he's not rolling 19s and 20s on his last uh, roll, um, Kaelin um, merely hits her. How's she looking? Uh, poorly. Yep. <laughs> not, not going to fall over, but poorly. I wouldn't have thought so. She's a giant monster and we've only hit her a few times, but of course it is Bryn's turn again. And Bryn can headbutt her all day. <laughs> yes, indeedy. And Bryn will indeed headbutt her again. Because she can. Uh, hits with that one. Miss, miss, miss again. Yeah, she's got high AC. Relatively poor damage, another 7 damage. And this one, she will still take the fort save on. Okay! Remain stunned. Alright. Rather become stunned again. Sweet. Alright, um, 
given that she led this fight with um, turning into a giant snake and uh, charming me turning into a giant snake and lightning bolting me, Kaelin doesn't feel inclined to go down the mercy road at this stage. He may change his tune if she's on her last few hit points. Yeah. But, but right now he hits her a bunch, he endeavors to hit her a bunch of times again, and the first one's a thirty. Yep. Uh, for 21 damage. Yep, she's still up. Okay, and the second one is a 26. Uh, that will miss her. Okay. And the third one misses as well. Cool. <laughs> We're back round to friends. Yep. We're going to stun locker again. Yep. Uh, hit, hit, miss, miss. is going to just solve this problem. Yep. Um, she has long stopped doing non-lethal damage. Yeah, I'm, I'm, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. Hmm? So, Bryn reaches out, grabs her by the tail, and basically loops it around her neck and pulls her neck down, twists it, and there's a <laughs> noise. <clears throat> and the snake woman falls to the ground and is basically rapidly dying. Yeah. Um, and she sort of nurse nurse and flickers back into Cassiopeia again and sort of starts trying to claw and pull herself in the door is obviously not going anywhere and she says no my love I have to stay alive I have to warn him I have to keep him happy it's why I am You've ruined everything, she says and looks at Brent. Couldn't you have just stayed dead? I could have made him happy enough. Couldn't you just die? <laughs> Kill Shakespeare. Nasty beast. I don't know what... Nay, we're, we're wanting Tristram... I mean, he's in the middle of a pitched battle with um, a bunch, whole bunch of golems, so he's probably not got time to give us his um, insight, but I would really love to know what that is. It's, it's thanks for watching out for me, love. She got, got to me in the head a little bit there. You and woman. <laughs> she says with a, slight, with a slight smirk on her face. At least this time, you didn't. At least this time, you didn't send us. At least this time, you weren't writing poetry to her. Hey, I never wrote the poetry. Tristram wrote poetry. She was before she started messing with my head. She was starting to give me. She sounds a lot. She sounded a lot like the Baobab Sith when she started forgetting to pretend to be your mother. It doesn't seem like the Clockwork King had. Well, she obviously came after the real Cassiopeia. But once he had me, he had no interest in her anymore. Or first. Uh, I think she must have been messing with his head or else 
he'd summoned her as some kind of substitute. Maybe the substitute paled by comparison. Uh, possibly seeing, finding out that you were still alive made him realize that he didn't have the real Cassie pair. I don't know. Um, so, is, is, what are we looking at on the floor here? Is it, it, Dead it, snake. Dead snake, excellent. Dead giant snake. Cool. Well. Uh, dead giant snake wearing an amulet, specifically. Okay. I right, take a look at the amulet. Sure. Uh, it looks uh, shiny, remarkably untouched by anything, and obviously magical. Alright, um... Yeah, I think, um... And is sized to fit a giant snake up until you start interacting with it, which point it's sized to fit a Caitlin. Cool, I, um, I take the amulet. You gonna put it on? No. No, I'm prepared to loot it in the middle of battle. I'm not prepared to wear it in the middle of battle. Been a while since I actually looted anything. Do I have a treasure sheet? Uh, are you going to um, either thoroughly loot this room, search this room, or just leave it be? I think just leave it be. We're um, like I want the because you know we're not necessarily um, coming back. So. Yeah. Rastaline's like, why is there a dead snake <laughs> in my master bedroom? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't think we have the time to, like, loot this place. So, magic amulet. Beautiful encounter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what the hell? I mean, you're obviously not going to take it right now, because it's kind of grossly impractical. But... Yeah. But I might come back and take it on the way out. It's not like rest- if you said to Wrestling, hey, I want that unicorn fountain, she'd be like, no, my fucking precious treasure. No, honestly, Caleb Kale- wants the Albear rug. Yeah. It, it seems like much more Bryn and him treasure. And, frankly, it's sitting right there and we've got a bag of holding. Caleb's taking the Albear rug. <laughs> that only takes a moment. And no, he'll leave the uniform fountain because um, that's the kind of thing I want, the kind of thing he wants. Uh, and then um, we'll put an arm around Bryn. You okay? That that had to be weird. Hmm. I came in here expecting to kill my father. Killing my not-mother is weird, but doesn't really make that much of an impact. I don't know what to take away from this. Was Castruccio or the Clockwork King using her? Was she or it using him? Was it some sort of twisted substitution? Like She's, she's looking. She's looking at it. It's, it's like you asking me to dress up like Svetlana. She's, she's not mad at you. She's just sort of creeped out in general. Yeah, Kel winces. Uh, 
Nay, let's... Nay. Um, he digs the potion out of his bag and skulls it. Yeah, yeah she's, she's totally getting um, Scott and Madeline Pryor off this. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, no, inappropriate, especially because it's my mother. Yeah. And Kaelin's desperately trying to avoid speculating about her already sex life, and yeah. it's still kind of right there. Um, cure moderate is a cure light got a minimum of plus three, doesn't it? Uh, yes. Uh, no, cure light is one. one. So cure moderate's got a minimum of plus three. Cool. Cool. All right, Kale, we'll drink another one then. Uh, actually, Grim might actually be able to answer this question for satisfaction relatively easily, and indeed she can. Uh, as she glances around the room, um. She says, it's spotless, but not perfect like the rest of the palace, not everything in its place. I think she was cleaning it. And looks, at, looks around. The sheets are clean, the sheets are clean, but old and basically assesses um, the God knows how Brynn would assess this but with a 30 search check she's, she's probably literally looking at the dents in the bed and things um, Castruccio Rabetti has never been in this bed ah. <laughs> it looks like a woman has of about the weight of what was Cassiopeia but that's it so whatever he's been doing with her, he hasn't been sleeping with her. Yeah, but I kind of didn't think he'd been sleeping with her because he's a golem. But, you know, he's the kind of golem who wants his daughter back. Yeah. Which says that he st- still has something that passes yeah. for feelings in a dim light. Yes, I mean, doubt- undoubtedly, if he could get his wife back, he would want her back as well. Yeah, so this is... She's presumably somehow convinced him that either convinced him that she's wife or been summoned by him as a creepy full male alchemist style substitute. Yeah. yeah, she she definitely does not think that she is Cassiopeia. She's no. reasonably clear on that. But she damn sure is is pretty well inhabiting the role. Yeah, yeah. It's important to her to be Cassiopeia, and even though she's not. Because you have no um, real real conception of who Cassiopeia was, you haven't drawn a lot of background information, you've never met the woman, you've um, had no extensive interactions with anyone who knew her significantly. Um, like, you know, was that a good impression, a bad impression? Who the fuck knows? No, well, Probably I'm... bad by the end. Yeah, but the thing is that um, Kaelin... Um... Kaelin doesn't know a lot about Cassiopeia, but he has talked to the mammoth about her. Yes. Um, th- this started striking him as not the real Cassiopeia. Yeah, about uh, ten seconds. Of... Not right away, but once I'd picked up on the... the well, her reaction to Bryn made me go, something. he's done something to Cassiopeia. It was the age thing. The age thing yeah. c- combined with the subsequent behavior. Like, no, that ain't Cassiopeia at all. Anyway, Kaelin skulls three little potions, two cure moderates and a cure light in quick succession because he does not want to go into the fight with the Ravidi injured. And, and goes back up to all but two of his hit points. Yeah. Alright. Well, that was weird and disturbing and all manner of troubling. But it, it doesn't change what we came here to do. So, I guess we try the throne room next. 
quick as we can. Aye. It's unfortunate that everybody has all these anti-teleport wards on his um, palace. Which stopped her, among other things, to mention Doring off to warn her. Although three rounds of stun would also do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure she had all manner of battle tactics, and, you know, Kaelin stabbing her a lot wouldn't have stopped her doing them, but failing to fortitude save aims that she should have been able to make in quick succession certainly um, turned it around on her. Alright. What's your intent with the throne room? Are you endeavouring to be sneaky and cunning, more or less finding it and booting doors down? Uh... I think probably at this point we're pretty good to kick the um, pretty good to kick the door in. Sure. Um, the like I've been endeavouring not to alert Koth to our presence, but we do actually want to find her already at some point. Yeah. So you rock up and kick the door in. Yeah. Um, also, Kalen's pissed. That wasn't fun. That wasn't a fun evening for him. This is not exactly a um, surprise to the people within because, yeah. well, they're not expecting you to come through this very second. They're absolutely expecting people to come in and murder them. Yeah. Um, and you see, unlike the um, the opulent and I guess very human-looking bedroom. Like it was kind of mm. warm and welcoming. It had art. It had sculpture. Yeah, this sort of stuff isn't extensively around. Yeah, I think um, you know I feel like that was Cassiopeia's actual bedroom when she was still you know with the living. Yeah. Um, you boot down the throne room, and this thing is not Spartan, but much more utilitarian. Um, not a lot of fancy artwork and that sort of thing here. It's just good enough to receive diplomats in, and that's about it. Um, and there are two men in here, using that word advisedly. Uh, um, they Castrucio Rovetti and Villamorkoff, by any chance? And as you roll in here with all the subtlety of a pile of bricks, can you two give me a spot check? Oh, yay! 20. Did Bryn make something you weren't expecting her to? Why? Oh, such a slide. So, you burst into the throne room and look around, and what you see is the big, hulking Villamore Koth is there. Both he and the Clockwork King are ready for battle. They've got yeah. weapons out into hand at this point. Koth is standing there with his axe, steam starting to rise out from his shoulder plates. Um, and he glares up at you and at last the city may have the city may be falling but we are not fallen yet I have beaten you before I will be your doom and the clockwork king stands there blight tucked away in a, in a sheath at his belt um, he has out what does not look like his clockwork lance but looks like the same style of thing it is a great sword that is over clockwork and has a bunch of bits and pieces in it you worked out what that lance was about didn't you that it was a changeable weapon Yeah. so he's got it, it's the same sort of thing but different yeah. um, and he great sword out steps in towards you and Pearl and Thorn so it has come to this. One of us must die here. Unless you're choosing to surrender, I think so. Let, but let me offer you my terms first, just to make certain we're, there's no other way this can go. 
because you've offered me terms a good few times and I've never accepted them. If you give me your word that you'll cease seeking the um, things that you desire and leave it and offer that for no further threat, you can walk away from this. I know that your word is good, and that's my only offer and the last chance, the last time I'll make it. Your peace is stagnation. Your decisions are made with your heart, not your head, and you will bring the River Kingdoms entirely to ruin. The war must continue. You must die. That is all that is, that is all that is left here. Had to try one last time. You've been an honourable opponent. And Bryn looks at him, and then her eyes narrow. <sighs> Negotiating with the puppet, not the master. If you're Castruccio Rivetti, where's Blight? Why do you stand differently to him? It's what you found. What he built. Not him. Another substitute. Another trick. He's not here. And she makes her perception check and beats Irovetti's knowledge engineering check. Remember you found the thing that looked like there were specs for Irovetti but weren't? This is the Doombot. Ah! It's not Irovetti. And he does not have Blight. And he does not, in fact, even have his clockwork lance. He has a substitute weapon that has been made up to look like it. The real man is not here. Flown off in a wyvern, possibly? Plans upon plans. Wheels within wheels. Wheels within wheels. And the Irovetti bot looks, looks at this. It was a conceivable outcome that you would detect this, that you would detect this ruse if you brought Brunhilde with you. Nonetheless, if one plan does not succeed, a secondary one will, and a first is still in motion. This is not done yet. And steps in towards you with his sword, with his sword out. One way or the other, this must end with your death, Galen Thorn. I think that is probably where yep. we go. And, and um, um Kaelin says, I'm just going to keep killing them until I find you. And, um, and, um, it looks at Koth. You're just another, you're just another golem to me. <laughs> and Bryn will see the wheels within wheels here, so this is the real Villamore Koth. Yeah. It is not the real Irovetti. It is a substitute of his. It is a golem of some kind. Yeah. Um, and the wheels within wheels become obvious because um, Irovetti is not losing anything. He cannot afford to lose here. Now, well, yeah. that's that's pretty debatable. But yeah, yeah. But all just, the Blight is not here. You are not yeah. going to win it in this fight. Uh, one thing that is here that you don't have that is that Bryn will cite is basically sitting on the throne waiting almost like a prize um, because again everybody has plans and backup plans and backup plans but his backup plans uh, is something that you have seen very briefly before and 
some time ago at the um Is it the Vultrishampanta? Yes, at the Rushlight Tournament Games. It is a small oh, handmade copy of Zadiga's Picnic. I'm so taking that. <laughs> For whatever reason, if you win this Erevedi wants you to have it. Clearly, he's left it out openly sitting here as a prize. But then there is Koth, who goes... and steps in with his fucking great fuck-off axe. And that's where we will leave. Hey, dum-dum-dum.